The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several (coughs) books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft, She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is really about protecting privacy, and we have this wonderful company. We have two members of the same family who run Privacy Ref, and so we can tell you a little bit about them, and we're going to talk about all sorts of things dealing with privacy and the legislation on the horizon, and this is such a hot topic for for many, many years. So first, let me tell you about Bob Siegel. He is an IAPP, like I am, a fellow of the Information Information Privacy of the International Association of Privacy Professionals. He has many designations. We can talk about that. And he's the president and founder of Privacy Ref, and that is a seasoned privacy He's a seasoned privacy professional with more than 30 years of experience in the development of privacy policies and procedures. And he defines performance metrics to evaluate privacy maturity, and he evaluates compliance with privacy laws, regulations, and policies and helps other companies to do this. Then there's Ben, who is his son, who is a senior privacy consultant, and he has many designations as well. As a senior privacy consultant for Privacy Ref, Ben provides research and guidance on addressing the various and sometimes really conflicting privacy requirements for marketing departments. That's always a a hassle between the privacy legal department and the privacy marketing department. Uh, He has extensive experience in researching privacy law on a variety of topics, including the uh, General Data Protection Regulation in the European Union and the California Consumer Protection Act here in California. His focus is multinational, and he works through his, uh, in his expertise through interactions with data protection authorities and supervising authorities across the world. So we are just thrilled to have you both joining us, one in the Northeast and one in, uh, in Florida. So thank you both for joining us. So, so let's talk yeah, so why don't we talk first, why don't we ask Dad, Bob, uh, how is it that you got interested in privacy, and then we'll find out about Ben. It's a little ancient history, I guess. Uh, when I was uh, back in college, um, I did a number of uh, applications um, just to learn how to program, um, including dating apps at the time. <laughs> um, and we were collecting lots of personal information from some of the students Um, I did some work for the Department of Internal Audit at the college and uh, saw all the personal information they were collecting there, so it kind of piqued my interest. 
And then when I was a senior, I worked for, and this is going to really seem ancient, Sperry Univac as a, a developer mm. um, on a project for a welfare department and saw all the information that was being collected about welfare recipients and food stamp recipients. So, so that piqued my interest. And ever since then, as a programmer, um, I was involved in doing lots of um, different different applications that were all privacy related. And eventually I became the senior manager of compliance, running the privacy program for Staples. Hmm. And after that, I left there, uh, left the snow of, of Massachusetts and came to Florida and founded Privacy Ref. Yeah, yeah. So you were kind of a techie to begin with and then got into privacy. So that's what it sounds like, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did punch cards and those machines that were big enough to fill rooms and <laughs> all, all, all that kind of stuff. So it, it, it's ancient history, but uh, it, 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 help, it serves me well now because when I do talk to people in IT departments, they, it, it's funny. Sometimes they try to fool me with lots of three-letter acronyms, and I just spit it right back at them. Right. No, and you, we, we really have to understand there has to be a marriage between IT and security and privacy to really make the thing work. So, Ben, how about you? How is it? Was it your dad that influenced you, or what is it? Uh, yeah, so when I was in college, uh, I didn't do as much with tech as Bob did. I was at the business school at Quinnipiac University. Uh, but I've definitely been uh, a pretty, uh, I still am, uh, a, a huge nerd. Uh, and a big controversy at the time uh, was Blizzard Entertainment, they make a lot of different video games, uh, was looking to institute what's called the real ID system on their forums. The idea being you'd have to use your real name as opposed to like an in-game or account name uh, on their forums. And the idea was to cut down on uh, trolling, trolling or online harassment. Uh, and basically, everyone had a real problem with this. Uh, it definitely got me interested in the sort of aspects of privacy and how companies use their personal data, um, and also more on the, the breach side of things and some of the, uh, for lack of a better term, shenanigans that people get into with personal information, uh, especially when one of the moderators in the forum tried to get everyone to be okay with this real ID system by exposing his real name uh, for five minutes later to have pictures of his wife and children and where they work and go to school exposed online only a few minutes later to bring the point home that maybe we shouldn't have this kind of information online. Uh, which was a, a very interesting uh, way to have things go, and they ended up not using that system. Wow, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've all seen privacy breaches, and, and you know, I, I was just telling you beforehand that how I got into privacy was someone stole my identity back in 1996, and from there, I literally uh, helped legislation get passed to make identity theft a crime both at the federal and at the state level. So, you know, how we get in sometimes in very strange ways. So, Ben, why don't you tell us about the challenges you see on the legislative horizon for privacy? Sure. Uh, I think right now we're seeing a lot of privacy being passed at the state level. Uh, California obviously has CCPA, uh, but recently uh, amended that in 2023 to the CPRA, or the California Privacy Rights Act, um, and other states are doing that. The issue is that uh, really at the federal level, it's difficult to see any kind of movement on the horizon. Um, it's sort of it, looking past any sort of uh, partisan politics and, and, and bickering that happens at the, the federal level, uh, I just don't think privacy is really marketed or seen as this very attractive issue that you see things like taxes or health care uh, or foreign relations that are these big, impactful uh, issues for the country. 
for a lot of people, they complain about Facebook, com, com, you know, collecting all of their data and doing God knows what with it, even though it's listed technically on their privacy notice that no one reads. Um, but they don't want to do anything to pass laws to change it because for them, it's nice to have something to complain about uh, as opposed to actually doing something about it. Well, you know, I think people really love Facebook. You know, they get to, to like for me, you know, I get to see what my kids are doing across the country and all my friends and au pairs that I had from Denmark when my kids were little. So, I mean, I think that the problem is it's like the benefits versus the burdens. You know, people are, they want the fun, but they do want the privacy. And the ordinary human really doesn't have the capability to protect themselves like these big companies do. So I think that's, yeah. you know, that's kind of how California thinks. And I've been involved, you know, with the, our first security breach law and all the laws that we've written here is like, okay, you know, the ordinary person cannot take care of themselves. It's beyond even their knowledge, let alone their technology, right? So I think a lack of understanding of privacy is is pretty much what I would agree with there for sure. Um, I have heard multiple people complain that, we don't know, like I mentioned, we don't know what Facebook or what Twitter does with our data. And I'm like, it's in their privacy notice. Just right. read it. It's there. And they're like, oh, they don't they do not do what they say what they're doing. And I'm saying, <laughs> so are you telling me you have evidence that, that the European Union can bring them to court for 4% of their global revenues? Because supervisory authorities would love to hear about this. Right. Um, but they don't. It's just sort of the... That's sort of that big conspiracy theory that people like to bring up sometimes. Right. Well, Bob, what opportunities are there for organizations, um, you know, what you see with regard to privacy? There are some, you know, I, I talk about with my clients, I'm, you know, I'm a practicing attorney mediator and I, I mediate privacy disputes, et cetera. But one of the things that I tell them is that I protect their privacy. It's a value added what about that from your perspective, Bob? Right, so from an organizational standpoint, we encourage our clients to look at privacy as a, as a benefit for their customers. It's a differentiator compared to what their competitors are doing. And, and we try to get them to include in their privacy notice um, make them stand out. Um, but, you know, if we look at the the things that Ben was talking about at the legislative horizon, I actually believe, um, looking at CPRA, looking at the Virginia law that's about to be passed, the law that was uh, presented in Florida, the new Utah law that was pr proposed, as well as the new Canadian law, that privacy laws are converging. And it's giving organizations an opportunity to look at the best practices coming from CCPA, coming from GDPR, coming from these other emerging laws, and really putting a program together that can differentiate themselves and use privacy as a benefit. Right. So how do you talk companies that you deal with? How do you talk to them to understand the value added that they get from having, you know, really implementing uh, global privacy uh, procedures and programs? It's, I try to personalize it. Um, and we do this in our, in our trainings as well. Um, we try to take a situation and say, look, if, if you were dealing with a company and they dealt with you in this non-privacy positive way, would you continue to do business with them? What would you feel about them? Would you trust them? 
um, a large part of privacy is trust. If you look at the uh, research done by the Poneman Institute, for example, when there's a data breach, on average, you lose 3% of your customer base because they lose trust in you. So we work with organizations to help develop that trust. We did a uh, training for the executive team of one of our clients. They, got, they spent two hours with us, um, including the uh, owners, which the company was privately held. And, and that's a huge investment of time for that group. And they were interested in what's going on with Facebook and why don't people trust them and how do we not do those types of things ourselves. And that company has adopted some very strong privacy policies um, with all the personal information they collect and process for their customers. Right. And every year, uh, the Poneman Institute um, sends out an, a notice of, of the best privacy companies that, that are the most privacy trusted companies. And uh, it's amazing. It is a value added and people look to that, whether it's American Express or, or whomever it is, they look like, oh, I, I want to do business with that company. And I know that I like to do business with companies that protect my privacy and that earn my trust. So I think you're so right. So Ben, what, I think it's go ahead. I'm sorry. I think it's surprising when we deal with particularly larger companies, and we've dealt with some Fortune 50 companies that don't have, don't don't even have privacy programs or have very immature privacy programs. Wouldn't you agree, Ben? Yeah, it's certainly sort of a, a secondary consideration or, or something that hasn't even crossed their mind in many cases, or it's kind of squirreled away from the rest of the organization. So they're not really paying attention to it as a, as a primary consideration for their organization. You know, years ago when we put together our first security breach law in California, we wanted to have, you know, the, the, the stick and the carrot. So we said, if you don't encrypt, that was, you know, how we started out. If you don't encrypt, then, you know, then you're in violation if, if there's a security breach. But if you do encrypt, then, you know, that's the carrot. So, I mean, I think that we've tried in this state, at least, even though uh, some of our initiatives haven't been that way, we do try to encourage companies to you know, jump on the bandwagon because it's good for their company name and their brand and their trust. But, um, you know, a lot of companies in other states, they are they haven't had some of the privacy legislation that we've had. And I think you can look at states that have the privacy legislation that encourages, um, gets more companies working toward that uh, that value. So what is your methodology, Ben? Uh, for breaking down privacy requirements for an organization, because we have a lot of companies that drive by. We're we're like a in this Orange County area. We have companies, you know, like the Silicon Valley. There's a an Aliso Viejo is like a mini Silicon Valley, and they can hear this. So what what is the methodology that you use? Yeah, so I take uh, what's usually considered a very top down approach. Uh, I learned this. Pretty early on, I took some some programming classes in high school and college, uh, and it's good to start with sort of the high-level goal, high-level ideas of what you're trying to do, and then break it down further. 
Um, so when I'm looking at a law, generally it's what are the major points, right? Uh, so looking at things like GDPR or CPRA, it's that there are data subject rights, there are changes to definitions around things like consent, there are specific things that businesses need to do, such as uh, maintaining articles of processing or records of processing, uh, and how they respond to data breaches. Uh, and then from there, it's looking at the particulars of that, uh, the, the sort of the details of those larger areas. Um, the example I like to give with this is, uh, in my off time, I like to play, uh, if you think old tabletop games like Dungeons and Dragons, a lot of people won't play these games because the rule books for them, uh, the game I play has a 638-page rule book. <laughs> GDPR has 99 articles, which is nowhere near as large as this, this massive rule book. Um, and the thing is, is you don't need all those rules to, to, to make an effective, you know, to play this game. Just like you don't need to know every little bit of GDPR to have an effective privacy program. What you really need to do is make sure that you're looking for what your business is in scope for, find the major pieces, and start assembling your program from there. And then as you move forward, start saying, okay, what do we need to do next? Do we need, oh, we need to make sure we can handle someone uh, making a request or, oh, we haven't really implemented privacy by design yet. What does that mean? Oh, well, we should have a PIA process. What tools are available to us? Is there something we can do in-house? Uh, and that's usually where I like to, to, to do to break down a particular law or legislation and then work from there helping a business. Understand what the sort of greater goal is, protecting people's privacy uh, and, and how their personal information is used, and then what are the component parts that go into that and what are the parts that go into those parts. Yeah, Marie, I, if I can just if I can just sure. go a little bit. The other the other part is we need to help our sponsors convey what the requirements are to the their their peers to the other executives. Um, so we construct workbooks um, of each of the major laws, and for each of the functional requirements, we identify whether it's not applicable, it's not met in process, planned, or or complete. And um, we do it through a color coder methodology. We put comments on each. So it's a very simple way to assist our, our sponsors, our partners, um, in having a document that they could use to explain what they need to do to put together a privacy program. Right. So you do like a privacy audit with them first? It's an assessment. Uh, you know, we, we look for anecdotal evidence. There are times when we will drill down to get some real detailed evidence of what's going on, particularly if uh, we feel that someone is not being totally upfront with us, then that, that does happen. Um, but um, when we do the assessment, we do a comparison against best practices. We do a comparison and we use the generally accepted privacy principles model from the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants for that. We do it against whatever the applicable laws are. And then we also do a, a SWOT analysis um, to compare it against the company's goals, to see how the privacy program is supporting the company's goals. So it's a pretty in-depth assessment that we do. Right. And, you know, a lot of companies don't really, you know, I think they're starting to understand more privacy by design. And I think we should talk a little bit about that because especially a lot of these new young people, they get so excited, they're, they're techies, and they don't think privacy by design. They don't think about putting into the architecture of their products and their services, the privacy, so that they don't have to come back later and try and fix it. So how do you how do you deal with a company, for example, that's been around for a while and they never heard of privacy by design? So 
Um, we actually just finished engagement with one company up in the Northeast that was trying to implement privacy by design. And what they were doing, they, they read lots of books, they read lots of articles, they see all these tools, these methodologies that they want to implement. And we just told them to stop, mm. to go back to the basics. Privacy by design basically means the goal of privacy by design is to have the privacy requirements treated just like any other business requirement to give privacy a seat at the table. Right. So let's implement one tool, privacy impact assessments, to get privacy engaged in the programs and, um, and start from there and start the dialogue up with the developers and the project management teams. Instead of trying to, uh, in try, instead of trying to run, let's walk, let's start the conversation and then we can build out from there as, as the program matures. Right, right. So what's your opinion of the current privacy environment in the United States compared with like the European Union and other places in, you know, in the world? Yeah, well, I honestly, so I, I know my previous answer, I said, sort of said I have no hope, I guess, for the federal government. Um, but in terms of privacy, I think the United States is actually doing a good job moving closer to uh, sort of a, a better understanding of what people need or what consumers are looking for with regards to privacy law. Um, CPRA is, is almost exactly like GDPR in every way. And based on the consent requirement in that law or the changes to the definition of consent in that law, in 2023, it appears that California is going to switch to an opt-in versus an opt-out sort of privacy model. Uh, which is a, a pretty major change for any organization doing business in California, and that includes all of your large tech companies, your your, your Facebooks and your Twitters and, and organizations like that. I think a lot of other states are starting to take uh, a pretty favorable view of laws like CCPA, the current law, um, and looking to implement similar laws that provide those rights to their citizens, the ability to have some control over their data, and as is what you usually see with the United States, they're seeing privacy as more of a consumer protection. So whereas the European Union certainly views privacy as a human right, and as such, they kind of give it to everyone and they provide these rights as uh, something that you get just for being a person, uh, the United States sees privacy as a consumer protection. And as such, the framing of consumer rights or privacy rights uh, and CCPA and the way that they're done, being framed as a consumer protection or a way to control your data uh, is pretty favorable for a lot of state-level legislators, legislatures, and I, I think they're going to uh, use that to push privacy legislation forward. Yeah, I, you know, what's happened that I've seen, you know, living in California, that companies that even, not just companies that do business with California, but, you know, some of the residents outside of California are going to want to have the same rights as a California citizens. And I think that's going to push it as well, because California has been kind of a leader in privacy legislation. So, we'll, you know, I think that uh, it, it benefits the whole country when we have uh, changes like that. So let's talk a little bit about opt-in versus opt-out so that my audience understands right now, sure. you know, uh, with Gramm-Leach-Bliley and all those other, you know, uh, laws that we've had on the books federally, it's pretty much, you know, opt out. So you want to just explain that, either one of you? Yeah, sure. Uh, so with opt out or, or what the current system is, uh, an opt out is essentially where an organization has your information and they can use it, uh, think to send you like uh, an email offering you a special offer or to uh, refinance your home, something like that. 
uh, without necessarily you consenting to it and just send you that data until you tell them to, or send you that information until you tell them to stop. Right. Um, right? So think can spam, which is the Controlling the Assault of Non-Solicited Pornography and Marketing Act. It basically says everyone has to have an unsubscribe link on their emails that you're sending for advertising purposes or for marketing purposes. Right. So you would be able to subscribe, unsubscribe to that email and stop getting it, theoretically. Um, with an opt-in, the business basically would need, and looking specifically to CPRA, you would need to take an explicit action or sign something. So you have to do something deliberately to show that you want to consent, that you want this to happen. You want to receive special offers or you're interested in a company's newsletter uh, or you want to you know, send your data to be used for analytical purposes to improve a product or a website, something like that. Uh, and that's a, a big change, obviously, because if companies need your consent to send you newsletters or marketing materials, um, it can it can have a really major impact on advertising and marketing in that vein. Right, right. So it's prior consent, basically, for those of you who are listening. That's what it means to have opt-in as prior consent. Um, are you, Bob? Are, an, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So it's actually affirmative consent. Yeah, that, that's yeah. That's the big part. Um, I taught a U.S. Uh, privacy course um, just the, earlier this week. And uh, we had a, a poor soul from London sitting in on the course till 10 o'clock at night, uh, keeping up with us. And he kept um, forgetting that we accept implicit consent here in the U.S. Um, as opposed to explicit consent, which is required under GDPR. Yeah. Right. Couldn't fathom the cultural difference. I would go even a step further than Bob. So it's not just that it's, in, it's explicit consent or affirmative consent. It is freely given, informed, specific consent that is an unambiguous declaration of the user's <laughs> wishes. It has to meet those four. Has to meet those four steps, or it's not a, a effective consent. And we've seen this in the sort of laws around the use of cookies in the EU, where they've said putting up a cookie wall, basically forcing someone to accept cookies before they get into your website. Uh, removes that freely given portion of consent because you don't really have a choice. You have to accept or you don't get to the website. Right. Uh, and as such, it's not actually consent to a violation of GDPR. Right, right. So, yeah, we'll see what happens in uh, in the United States with California going this way as well. It's, uh, I think it's really a, a disconcerting for many companies of how they can keep up with it. They just got used to, you know, the California Consumer Privacy Act, and now they've got this additional um, requirements that they have to deal with and, and provide you documentation of what you have on them too. So let's, um, are, are there aspects of privacy you, that you think are really neglected or overly emphasized, Bob? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, there there, from a neglect standpoint, I, I think there are two major items. Um, an organization has a responsibility to let their um, train their people to let them know what they're supposed to do. Um, and what we find from a lot of companies we talk to, they take canned out of the box training, and that's their privacy training for the year. Right. It talks about what the general laws require, but doesn't talk about what their company requires. You mentioned GLBA and HIPAA earlier. Um, there are other sectoral laws like FERPA for education. Um, and then there are the general state privacy laws, all of which require some level of training. 
but the legal department's going to interpret those laws differently on a per company basis. So having, um, for lack of a better word, bespoke training for the company explaining what they have to do is something that's a missed opportunity. Um, similarly, and, and there are a lot of organizations that forget to do compliance testing, compliance reviews, to make sure the members of the, the organization are doing the right thing. And that all goes back to making their privacy pro policies measurable, having metrics associated with every requirement in their privacy policy. Because if you can measure things, then you can figure out where things are broken or where things need help. Right. But a lot of companies put out the policies, put out some training, and then they stop from there. And that's when they get in trouble with the Federal Trade Commission, because if you have a policy and you don't follow it, then you're then it's considered like a deceptive practice. So... Yeah, it just just taking uh, somebody else's privacy policy isn't going to work for you, right? That, that, that's a hundred percent correct. And in fact, we saw an organization that when we said, "Let me tell you what this division of your company is doing," and the lawyer said, "I don't want to know because if I know, I have to do something about it." Oh my gosh! And, <laughs> <laughs> that was just the point. Um, um, you know, things that are overly emphasized. Um, I, I think the differences between organization uh, between the different laws is overly emphasized by organizations. Um, you made a point earlier that CPRA and C CPA or CPPA in California is leading the country in um, making privacy reforms. I think that's great. Um, we work with our clients to make a fundamental decision. Do you want to let those um, privacy rights just be for Californians, or do you want it to be for all your customer, your entire customer base? Yeah. And when we explain what the implications are by having to determine where somebody lives and saying no to a customer in New York because they don't live in Florida, what the, the implications may be, we find a lot of customers saying, you're right, we'll just take the, the, the highest watermark of these requirements wherever they come from, and we'll apply it to our entire customer base. That doesn't work for everybody. But we force people to make that decision. Um, ultimately, as, as I said before, I think privacy laws are converging. So we're all going to be having to meet those high-level standards at some point. Right. And this is a perfect way to end. So if you would just, um, Ben, just give your website and it's time to go. Yeah, absolutely. So it's www.privacyref.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. 